think when you read the original language of the amendment, the amendment kind of lumps the right to abortion in with contraception, miscarriage, fertility care, continuing pregnancy, sterilization care, and trying to kind of conflate. This is Caring for Both, a curbside consult series by the American Association of Pro-Life Obstetricians and Gynecologists, where experts offer insights on what it means to provide evidence-based, life-affirming health care to both pregnant women and their preborn children. We upload new episodes every Thursday. I'm your host for today, Miriam Diallo. If you're listening to this episode on the day that it was released, you might notice that it is not our usual upload day. It is Tuesday, October 31st. Happy Halloween to those who celebrate. And we are releasing this episode early because it is part one of a conversation that we wanted to release in its entirety this week because the topic of discussion is an event that's happening next week. So we're releasing part one today and part two on Thursday, November 2nd. So I hope you enjoy this first part and also have time to listen to part two in a couple of days. Let's jump into it. On November 7th, Ohio voters will decide whether to enact Issue 1, which is a proposed amendment that would enshrine an unrestricted right to abortion in the state's constitution. I'm just going to quickly read that ballot language in its entirety here since it's pretty short. Uh, This proposed amendment would, one, establish in the Constitution of the state of Ohio an individual right to one's own reproductive medical treatment, including but not limited to abortion. Two, it would create legal protections for any person or entity that assists a person with receiving reproductive medical treatment, including but not limited to abortion. Three, it would prohibit the state from directly or indirectly burdening, penalizing, or prohibiting abortion before an unborn child is determined to be viable unless the state demonstrates that it is using the least restrictive means. Four, it would also grant a pregnant woman's treating physician the authority to determine on a case-by-case basis whether an unborn child is viable. Five, it would only allow the state to prohibit an abortion after an unborn child is determined by a pregnant woman's treating physician to be viable and only if the physician does not consider the abortion necessary to protect the pregnant woman's life or health. And finally, six, it would always allow an unborn child to be aborted at any stage of pregnancy, regardless of viability, if in the treating physician's determination the abortion is necessary to protect the pregnant woman's life or health. So there's a a fair amount here. Uh, Here to help us learn more about this ballot proposal is Dr. Vivina Napier. Dr. Napier is a board-certified obstetrician-gynecologist practicing in Dayton, Ohio, where she also volunteers for her local pregnancy resource center's prenatal clinic. She has been active in her advocacy against Issue 1 for the past several months. Dr. Napier, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me on, Miriam. I appreciate the opportunity to be able to talk with people a little bit more, educate people, um, especially because ever since the overturning of Roe versus Wade, all the states are having to take these issues into consideration. So I think that um, having this information on what is happening in Ohio is going to be able to really help people as they navigate what their state goes through. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a 50-state battle. And so even our listeners outside of the state of Ohio 
can definitely learn a lot from what you have to say today. Uh, before we jump into this issue one topic, uh, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, how you became interested in OBGYN, and how do you serve patients today? Sure. Definitely by God's direction and leading. I know that my mom tells me that um, delivering babies was probably one of my earliest desires in terms of what I wanted to do and be when I grew up. But of course, the way that that fleshed out in my life was um, quite a journey. Um, a lot, my, ch my childhood had a lot of um, challenges, many that lead a lot of women into um, unhealthy relationships, patterns of self-harm, addiction, things like that. But by, by God's grace, he kind of protected me from heading down a lot of those paths and um, and then really instilled in me a desire early on to just start engaging with women who maybe walked similar paths as I had, just to be able to reach out a hand and encourage them and walk alongside them. And then, of course, as I was walking down this path, it just um, became really apparent to me that one of the best ways to um, engage with women and advocate for them is in their unique challenges and experiences and their um, strengths that come along with their unique ability for childbearing and um, fertility. So that's kind of maybe how I it's the short version of how I got to where I am. Currently, I am serving as a part-time hospitalist and also homeschooling my kids. I have five kiddos, um, so we're kind of navigating these fun challenges, and I'm teaching in my role as an obstetrician gynecologist and then also teaching in my role at home. And then also I'm volunteering at my local pregnancy center's prenatal clinic and just being able to partner with women who uh, maybe had to make a difficult decision about whether or not they wanted to have an abortion and then chose to keep their baby. Um, so I'm helping them walk through their pregnancy and get them to a healthy and safe delivery. And that's kind of what I'm doing at present, a little, a little of this, a little of that. Certainly, you're promoting life in, in many, many areas of your life, professional, volunteer, and personal, uh, and that's that's really wonderful to hear. Diving really quickly into issue one and, and this ballot proposal, uh, per your understanding, and I understand that you're a medical professional, not a legal professional, but in your understanding, what is the current abortion law in Ohio? And in your professional experience, has the current law ever prevented you from providing high-quality patient care? So currently in Ohio, um, abortion is legal up to 22 weeks or 21 and 6 days gestational age. Um, it is a little bit different for minors. So for patients that are under 18, they do have to have um, a 24-hour notification w with their parent or guardian involved and then also provide some form of written consent. Um, from their parent or guardian. The other question that you asked about whether or not the current law has ever prevented me from providing high-quality patient care, that's no. I haven't ever encountered that in my time as a physician here in Ohio at this point. Um, I think when you read the original language of the amendment, the amendment kind of lumps the right to abortion in with contraception, miscarriage, fertility care, continuing pregnancy, sterilization care, 
and trying to kind of conflate the the fact that women are getting are already getting good quality compassionate care um, and trying to just lump abortion in with these other perceived aspects of women's health care. So I these are other issues. They're they're secondary. They're not the concerning aspect of the amendment, but they're they've also not been threatened. But also these these other rights, they don't infringe on that basic human right to life, um, which is the central issue at hand. Um, but no, I have not personally experienced an ability to provide high quality patient care under the current law. That's really helpful to clarify. Um, and to follow up a little bit on that, uh, some people are concerned that the current law in Ohio makes it difficult for physicians to treat uh, specifically serious pregnancy complications, and that's the basis on which they're supporting issue one. So what would you say to those people? And is it in fact the case, I know you've alluded to that a little bit, that it's difficult for physicians to treat serious complications under the current law? There's obviously a lot of nuance here, and I don't want to discount that at all. But so just to clarify, the definition of abortion would be the direct and intentional ending of the fetal life. And in my 10 years of practice, abortion specifically is rarely necessary to quote unquote protect a maternal life. I, I don't even, even that language for me is a little bit difficult because it it kind of sounds to me like it's pitting the mother against the baby that's growing in her womb. But just to clarify, there there's a principle that that we as physicians that are maybe practicing in what we what we kind of view as the, the life affirming side. We do recognize that there's this principle that we call the double effect that when a treatment to save one life um, may inadvertently affect or in some cases end the life of another. So things like ectopic pregnancies or maybe when early, maybe even pre-viable delivery is necessitated because of a serious maternal complication. Um, and we do have to weigh these situations as physicians. There's, there's just a lot that can kind of come along with these really difficult situations. Um, but when abortion may be necessary, um, I think it should always give us pause because it is tragic for women. Um, it's tragic for them from, you know, a mental health perspective and a physical perspective as well. Um, so I think, you know, I think it's important that people understand that the relationship between them and their doctor is, you know, a lot of the decisions that you make with your doctor. They they don't need intervention. You know, we're nobody in the pro-life camp is is inserting themselves into people's decisions about um, having their appendix removed or, you know, those type of things. Um, we're only kind of involved in this work because it it's a it's not just a personal decision it's it's involving someone else's life you know biologists acknowledge that a genetically unique individual an, an organism with its own unique dna occurs like at the moment of conception um and rei's 
the reproductive endocrinology and infertility experts, they image and they test embryos, you know, on and before day, f like five days. Um, and they acknowledge that that's a unique individual. They can tell if the chromosomes are normal. They can evaluate whether or not, you know, that embryo is male or female. Um, so I think, you know, just to clarify that we, we aren't, on the pro-life side, we are advocating for, um, for women and for their babies. And I think as OBGYNs, in some ways, a lot of us have lost sight of that reason that we went into OBGYN. Um, I see so much, maybe, you know, this like a little bit of a Gnostic approach that we as OBGYNs can take to patients and be so happy and excited for the woman who's excited. And then, you know, I can see physicians walk into the next room and, you know, the mother is torn about her decision or she, you know, this was an unexpected pregnancy. And then, and then they can just have a very aloof approach to the same, a baby that is the same gestational age and, and just kind of talk with her about how to get rid of it, how to fix the problem. And, and, um, and sometimes I feel like we're always turning to abortion as the answer for um, these, you know, unexpected pregnancies instead of, you know, a lot of moms would, you know, they think there's been some studies that have shown if, if a woman has one person that would have just asked and um, been interested in supporting her, uh, you know, over 70% of women would consider keeping their babies. Um, so I think as OBGYNs, you know, we, we always talk about like, I am concerned about a happy, healthy mother and baby. Um, and I think that we're, we're losing sight of that as a profession and, and we're, we're ignoring the basic, again, that it is a genetically unique individual. Humans give birth to humans. So that is a genetically unique human individual. And each human individual is worthy of human rights, with the most basic human right being the right to life. Um, so anyways, I know I kind of went off a little bit on there, but um, regardless, this, this no vote in November for people who are listening and who maybe have been just trying to get more information and are very confused about the messaging on both sides and they don't know how, who to listen to. Um, right now, a no vote on issue one, it doesn't outlaw abortion. I'm hearing a lot of that. Um, you know, in some ways, I think us on the pro-life side maybe wish it did. But abortion will remain, it just it will remain legal up until 22 weeks of pregnancy but it would allow us to continue to have this discussion, to continue to try to find common ground on this issue. The language in the amendment is certainly very concerning for me. Again, you pointed out I'm not a legal expert, but it does seem to be very intentionally, broadly written, maybe deceptively written in some cases. And, and I'm definitely seeing that proponents of the measure are really hiding um, the expansiveness of the language. Um, and I think they would love to get this ideal 
in their minds, ideal wording passed because it would completely um, just shut down the conversation. And I think that is a lot of where our concern lies, too, is that we want to be able to continue to have this conversation and, and again, try to find some common ground um, while still valuing um, the, the dignity of human life. Yeah, it's certainly helpful to clarify what this amendment would and wouldn't do, what the current law does and doesn't do. And also, as, as you very hopefully dove into, uh, what life-informing care does and does not look like in OBGYN. Um, and it's something that we at Applog talk about a lot, that uh, physicians like you consider themselves to have two patients when they're treating a pregnant woman. Uh, there's the pregnant woman and there's her pre-born child, and they both equally deserve high quality care. Um, and there are times where you kind of have to weigh the, the impacts of certain interventions on each, but that's definitely does not mean that pregnant women cannot get high quality care in the case of serious pregnancy complications. So this is all really helpful to establish. Um, let's dive a little bit into the impacts that you feel that issue one would have. So um, first, how about preborn children? How would issue one impact preborn children if it were to pass? Um, so currently, there are generally over twenty thousand abortions in Ohio every year. Um, so, in the case of you know acknowledging that these are little human lives, um, abortion is the leading cause of death for children in Ohio. Um, and I think that this amendment, you know, I, it's hard to say because it's, the language is so expansive. I, I really think that it has the potential to expand um, that number, which is already just an overwhelming number of little lives lost. So I, again, the language is so vague, but I think obviously the proponents are hoping to expand abortion and its access um, and and enshrine it as a right um, without taking into consideration the baby and its rights. So unfortunately, I think that most of the expansion will probably happen um, in the time that I think most of us would agree uh, abortion is one, not necessary. So in the you know, third trimester when babies are viable um, and also when abortions are much more violent of a procedure for both the baby and the woman, um, a lot more higher risk for the woman and, um, and a lot more maybe emotionally traumatizing for the woman. Um, so I think, uh, I think the the expansion that we may see in Ohio is a lot more of the later term abortions being performed. Um, and that, you know, I think is a huge concern. Certainly, yeah, the, the expansive language might remove a lot of the protections that currently exist for preborn children. And, and they're the ones that will be most directly impacted by 
this uh, amendment, but also we can ask about other groups that would be impacted. So how about pregnant women? How would issue one impact pregnant women in your view? So again, I'm not exactly certain what their, the end game is here, um, but the language seems to just only push for expanding um, traumatic, I would say, you know, abortions. Um, and I think a huge concern is that the language says that the state can't burden a woman or the person who is assisting her in getting an abortion. And, and what does that mean? This just leaves huge gaps and questions for me. Does, does it mean that the clinics will be exempt from different safety regulations, cleanliness standards, ultrasound standards? Um, what are going to be considered burdens that I think that it says direct and indirect burdens. Like, what does that mean? Um, and so I think, you know, the the part of medicine that gets regulated is generally for the safety of patients. And, you know, one of my biggest concerns is that, um, again, I'm not a lawyer, but I have, I do see the potential for um, harm, you know, in this language. Um, because there's, you know, how much we know that there's just so many surgical risks, surgical complications that women face undergoing abortions. And it could become even, you know, more with the increased access, you know, are there going to be people who are maybe unqualified to perform these procedures? Are they going to be allowed to offer this to women? So I just, again, it's, it's hard to say but the language is just so vague that I don't know what to make of it. But I could see it turning in such a way that it really actually harms women to expand the access in this manner. Again, you know, I, I hate to be such a Debbie Downer, but, um, but when I talk with individual women who have had abortions... Um, a lot of them regret their abortions. They felt like they maybe made the decision a little bit too rashly. They were young and they didn't get any input. And so they just kind of made the only, they felt trapped. They felt coerced. They felt this was the only choice they had. And I think, you know, they're, they're kind of talking to me years later, years later, and they talk about you know, their regret. A lot of them talk about how a lot of their mental health struggles started during that were directly related to their abortion. But, and I think we are minimizing as a society how traumatizing an abortion can be to a woman. The media and the nation at large seems to be focusing on we need to give women this choice and you shouldn't have any say. And, you know, I think women, that, that bond, that immediate bond that happens between a woman and her baby when she sees that positive pregnancy test, um, that bond needs to be supported. That bond needs to be um, encouraged and empowered um, and never pushed 
to the violence, um, especially, you know, towards the baby. Um, so I, I see that there's maybe, maybe a physical r- risk to women, you know, maybe is there going to be a big rollback on safety regulations in attempting to really drive the access um, forward? But then I also see that we may just have more women suffering years down the road because they felt like they were misinformed. They were coerced into their decision. They were pushed into, into you know, their one, the one option of abortion. So that's that's kind of my take on how I could see issue one affecting pregnant women. Yeah, that's really helpful to clarify and just emphasize that the language is really broad. And so it might place at risk some of the current, even common sense regulations that a lot of people would agree on, regardless of their stance on abortion overall, that would protect women's uh, physical health and also, as you mentioned, their mental health. So that's, that's really good to be aware of. This has been part one of my conversation with Dr. Napier. In part two, we will further flesh out the potential impacts of issue one, as well as delve into what medical professionals can do to show some support during this time. We hope you can listen. And a massive thank you to our listeners for joining us today. If you like this episode, be sure to give us a five-star rating and a review on whatever podcast app you're using to listen. If you have any topic requests, you can reach out to us on social media via the links in the description of this episode or via email at info at aaplog.org. If you're a medical professional interested in joining the AppLog community, we'd love to have you become a member by going to aaplog.org join. We exist to support your pro-life practice. We will see you next week.